Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. Welcome back to the program again this week, and I trust you have been tuning in to this powerful series that we have been doing for the last three weeks titled, You Will Recover Your Life. Uh, if you have missed any of it, like I said, this will be the fourth program we have aired on this, and, and, and I uh, literally take every segment and really pour a lot of stuff into it. So if you've missed anything leading up to this and you'd like to go back and listen to it, uh, it is archived on YouTube and you can watch it on demand at your leisure. The easiest way to do that is by going to my website at lenhouse.com. There's an address in the lower corner of the screen. It's on your screen. And there is an icon in the upper right-hand corner of YouTube. And if you will tap on that, it will take you directly. There's a direct link that will take you directly to YouTube and you can view the program right there uh, by the date that it was aired and under the title of You Will Recover Your Life. Uh, also, if you would like to, you say, well, I don't have time to watch the video, but I would like to go back and at least listen to the audio portions, you can do that. All you have to do is go to the same webpage at lenhouse.com. The upper right-hand corner, there is a podcast emblem. It will take you to our iTunes podcast where you can download it or stream it in your car on your way to work, and you can listen to the audio portions over and over again. You can also sign up there for our podcast or uh, even the YouTube stuff, and it will let you know when we upload a new one. We do it every week. Uh, also, if you have an Android device, you can go to the exact same location again, my website, and there's an RSS feed. There's a little icon in that upper right-hand corner where you can get the audio portion for your Android device. And if you ha do that and you'd like to, while you're there on our website, there's a whole host of products, books, CDs, DVDs, all kinds of stuff. But you can also go there and there's a place where you can give a seed to help support this kind of ministry because all of that YouTube and iTunes and what we do with national television is no charge to you. It is through our faithful partners and those who purchase products from us and donations and gifts of our viewing audience that help us to be able to do that. So if you'd like to give while you're there, please do that, and you can become a monthly partner at the end of there where you give your credit card. You can, you can tell it that you'd like to have a recurring debt, or you can give a one-time gift, or you can simply write a check and send it to the address that's on the screen. That being said, I want to get into the Word, but you can go back and review, and I won't be able to review everything uh, but I want to come again, this is the fourth segment on this. Verse 25 says, Behold, this is Luke the 10th chapter, verse number 25. It says, Behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted him, saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said unto him, What is written in the law? How readest thou? And the answering said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy strength, and with all thy mind, and thy neighbor as thyself. <clears throat> and he said unto him, Thou hast answered right, this do, and thou shalt live. But he, willing to justify himself, said unto Jesus, Who is my neighbor? And Jesus answering said, A certain man went down from Jer Jerusalem to Jericho, fell among thieves, which stripped him of his raiment, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. And by chance there came down a certain priest that way, and when he saw him, he passed by, on the other side. 
Likewise a Levite, and when he was at the place, came and looked on him, and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion on him, and went to him, and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, and set him on his own beast, and brought him to an inn, and took care of him. And on the morrow when he departed, he took out two pence, and gave them to the host, and said unto him, Take care of him, and whatsoever thou spendest more, when I come, I will repay thee. Which now these three, thinkest thou, was neighbor unto him that fell among the thieves. And he said, He that showed mercy on him. And then said Jesus unto him, Go, and do thou likewise. Now I want to just stop, because what we begin to share with you in the last several weeks is that this lawyer is coming to Jesus, who is a lawyer of the law of Moses. And he's asking Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now what I shared with you, and probably was revolutionary to many of you, is that eternal life is more than just a ticket to heaven. While it includes that, and I want to be clear about it, I do believe that eternal life includes going to heaven when you die. But this man is asking Jesus what he has to do in order to inherit eternal life. And I showed you uh, over two weeks that eternal life is from the Greek word aeonian or eon, has to do with the root word of age or ages. And he's literally asking him, as he is standing in an old covenant age, he's asking him, what must I do to inherit the life of the coming age? And I showed you in 1 Corinthians 10 that Paul wrote to the first century church at Corinth, and he said to them, we're the people upon whom the ends of the ages have come. And so they were at the ends of the ages in the first century. It was the end of the old covenant age and the beginning of the new covenant age. So as they're in a transition between an old covenant age and a new covenant age, and the new testament or the new covenant is being birthed, Paul writes to the church at Corinth and says, We're the people upon whom the ends of the ages have come. And where those two ages overlap, the Old Covenant Age and the New Covenant Age, I showed you that right between these two ages is about a 40-year transition period where both, uh, where, where both covenants seem to be in operation. And that's the 40 years in which most of the New Testament has written. It was the Old Covenant fading away, according to the book of Hebrews, the cross ended its demands, but it was still fading away because the way into the most holy place was not yet made while the first tabernacle still stood. They're still offering the blood of bulls and goats, animal sacrifice, circumcisions. But when the temple is destroyed, it brought an end to Old Covenant Judaism and the law, and it was impossible now to, to even keep that law under that paradigm because there's no more sacrifice for sin when it comes to the Old Covenant approach. So they had come to the ends of the ages, and so when this guy is asking Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? I shared with you that inheritance is not something you get when you die. It's something you get when somebody else dies. And we received the inheritance through the death, the burial, 
and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who was not only the writer of the testament of will, but died so we could get it and then got back up from the dead to be the administrator of his own will to make sure we get what we said we could have. And I showed you last week that this guy was willing to justify himself because he's asking Jesus under an old covenant paradigm, what do I have to do? So Jesus said, well, you know what, again, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are in the old covenant, but they are in the New Testament because the cross was not yet fulfilled to the latter parts of these writings. The death of Jesus is what brought an end to that. It was the ultimate sacrifice for sin. Now that being said, uh, this guy's asking what I need to do. So if you ask Jesus under the old covenant, what do you need to do? He gives him the list of the rules and he brings the law of Moses in. However, we realize in Galatians chapter 3, I believe it is, that he says that there is not a commandment that could give you life. See, the question here is not just uh, going to heaven, it's life. What must I do to inherit the life of the coming age? And I showed you last week how that the thieves had left this man bleeding and dying beside the Jericho road, and I showed you that the thieves of John 10 is when you think there's some other way into the sheepfold than through the door. He said that he that entereth not by the door into the sheepfold but climbs up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. And so uh, what we begin to realize is that the thieves and robbers that have left so many bleeding and dying is when you think there's another way in to the sheepfold and through the door, which is Jesus. If you think that some of the way is through your performance, through the law of Moses, or through some other paradigm, you are going to be left with life running out of you rather than life being added to you. So he's asking Jesus, what must I do to inherit the life of the coming age? And we see that Jesus goes into this parable. And he begins to tell him about this man who fell among thieves. I believe the thieves are many times religion, but all kind of things can rob you. In other words, he said, anything can, anything that comes before Jesus, all that ever came before me, he said in John 10, are thieves. There's a lot of stuff we have in our lives that rob us of, of our lives, whether it's addictions, even areas of diet, uh, uh, bad thinking, bad theology, anything that takes your life is a thief. And I showed you last week that the straight and narrow was not performance, it's Jesus. Strive to enter in at the straight gate, for straight is the gate, and narrow is the way that leads to life, not heaven, life, and few there be that find it. And so the way that leads to life is through a relationship with Jesus, who is the door, who is the way, the truth, and the life, who brings us into what he defines as the life of the coming age by saying, this is life eternal, that you would know the Father, God, and that you would know the Son. This is life eternal. That's the life of the coming age, is life lived in context of sonship as a citizen of the kingdom of God, and the whole story of the Samaritan is whatever it costs to make you better, he's willing to pay the price. And I got to thinking about that, and with that thought I want us to go to Galatians, uh, the fifth chapter, because again uh, I want us to see that uh, he's, you know, the whole book of Galatians is talking about moving from law to grace. As a matter of fact, he said in chapter 5, verse 4, Christ has become of none effect to you 
whosoever of you are justified by the law, you are fallen from grace. In other words, to fall from grace is to go back up under the law. It doesn't mean you made a mistake or you sinned. But the reality of it is he's trying to move them from this performance-based religious system that keeps on robbing your life. And he goes on, if he said, he went on to tell them, listen, if you go back to circumcision and all these things, then Christ profits you nothing. But when you receive this life of Christ, he again warns them in verse 7, you did run well, who did hinder you that you should not obey the truth? And a little leaven leavens the whole lump. He's telling them that if you put just a little bit of mixture of law and grace, it's going to begin to mess up the whole thing. Uh, I don't want to go down and uh, let, let me just let me just uh, go to verse 16. He said, "This I say then: Walk in the Spirit; you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit; the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary one to another, so you cannot do the things that you would. But if you be led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh." are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, adultery, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envies, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like. Of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, watch this, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, before I get down into the fruit of the Spirit, let me just get this. He starts listing behavior issues. See, because what I want to talk about is, what does life in the coming age look like? Again, this lawyer was a first century lawyer, and he's knowing something's coming to an end. This age of Moses, this age of the law is coming to an end. Jesus is talking about the kingdom and the kingdom of God in its present reality. The kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven is not where you go when you die. It's where you went when you got born again. You became a citizen right then of the kingdom. I am right now a citizen of the kingdom of God. And so he's asking him, what does life in this new, uh, this coming age look like? And he's beginning, you see, and, and I think these are valid questions because here's what people are asking today, even as we're teaching the gospel of grace and the gospel of the kingdom. Make no mistake about it, I do believe God wants us to live right. I believe what is in question is how that occurs. And I believe the only way it occurs is through the power of the Holy Spirit working in the life of the believer to produce the kingdom and the righteousness, the peace, and the joy, and the quality of life from the coming age. But when Paul starts dealing with in Galatians 3 and 4 that there's not a commandment that can produce this life, the whole book of Galatians is shifting you from this, if you will, law-based old covenant paradigm and, and he, he begins to tell them, listen, you, if you keep going back up under the law and mixing it, you have fallen from grace. Because the life of this coming age is not one based on performance religion that comes from the law of Moses. It is a life that flows from the fruit of the Spirit. Now, fruit is not something you manufacture. Fruit is something that comes from being connected to the right root. But he starts talking about, uh, he, he said, you know, for the works of the flesh. Now, let me just say before I get into the works of the flesh that many times even our concepts of what we think the flesh is may be a little off. He he, in the context of this book of Galatians, he starts out in chapter 1 and 2 by saying, you began in the Spirit. 
do you think you will be made perfect by the flesh? So Paul calls being in the flesh in Galatians as being up under the law. He also says when we were children, we were under the elements, touched not. He talks about that being in the flesh. Romans, the seventh chapter, Paul said, when we were in the flesh, the motions of sin, which were by the law, did work in our members to produce death. And he tells him when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. So one aspect of being in the flesh, there may be more to this, I can't cover all of it in one segment, but one aspect of being in the flesh means you are up under the law. So if being in the flesh means you're up under the law, then he says, here's the works of the flesh. And we, we try to put the heat on the t big three, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, and lasciviousness, or those top ones. And as long as we can keep the focus on people that are doing those things, we don't have to face our own complicity in the other stuff like hatred, variance, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like. In other words, this list of stuff, of the works of the flesh, are the result of being under the law of Moses, and they're the stuff that you see even in every church. Now I've been in the ministry this spring, 40 years of full-time ministry, and I can tell you probably somewhere in this list of things you will find something that hits you square between the eyes. And if this set of scriptures is talking about they which do such things will not go to heaven, then survey says there ain't very many people going to make it to heaven. But you don't make it to heaven based on works anyway. You make it based on the faith of Jesus Christ. Now I'm not saying that there's not behavior that will change. I'm telling you that what's causing some of the bad behavior is some of our bad theology that's left us bleeding and dying beside the Jericho Road because when the commandment came, sin revived and I died, and religion has left many of us bleeding and dying beside of a Jericho Road until a Samaritan named Jesus comes by and says, whatever it costs to make you better, I'm willing to pay the price for it. So what I'm saying is, when he says, they which do such things shall not, here's the key word, inherit the kingdom of God. Again, the kingdom of God is an inheritance. He's saying if you're up under the law, then you're not inheriting. You're trying to earn. But when you, he's talking about the kingdom, not in the distant future, but the kingdom of God in your lifestyle. In other words, these things, hatred, malice, envy, strife, adulteries, fornications, all this stuff, are enemies of living a kingdom lifestyle right now. They're the stuff that's robbing your life and causing the life to flow out of you. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. And Paul told you, as I told you before, and I'm going to tell you again, that they which do such things are not inheriting the kingdom. In other words, that's the enemy of righteousness, peace, and joy are these behaviors. Now, I, I want to go also to Romans 1 and 2. Actually, Romans 1 uh, begins by saying that when people knew God, they would not glorify Him as God, but they worshiped and served the creature more than the Creator. And they changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like unto corruptible uh, things, four-footed beast and creeping things. Wherefore, and verse, this is Romans 1, verse 20, 23 and 24, and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like the corruptible man, and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. Wherefore God 
also gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves, who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the Creator who is blessed forever and ever. Amen. For this cause God gave them up unto vile affections, for even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise also the men leaving the natural use of the woman, burning their lust one toward another, men with men working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error which was meet. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient, being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whispers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents without understanding, covenant breakers without natural effects, implacable, unmerciful, who knowing the judgment of God that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do it. Now let me tell you what he's first saying here is that if you have changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like unto four-footed beasts, it was first century idolatry. But here's the thing, when we create a God in our own image and we have a false concept of God, it's going to result in a morphed or, if you will, lifestyles that somehow have become so vile. And what happens, listen, what we do is we get again in here and we preach the big ones. We talk about men with men, women with women. But see, again, in this same list, we got to realize that we're backbiters, uh, you know, evildoers. There was, uh, I mean, there was all kinds of stuff that was listed in here. I mean, we, we want to preach all that other stuff because it keeps the heat off of us. But the bottom line is that it's in all of this, Romans 1 and Romans 2, the whole purpose of it is to show that we're all in the same sinking boat. That is, we're all complicit, in, whether we're insiders or outsiders, Jews or Gentiles, sinners or, 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 or if you will, of the Jewish nation. What the whole Romans 1 and 2 is telling you is that we're all in the same sinking boat because the end of the law is there is none righteous, no, not even one. So that whole point is to bring us over to a place of repentance. In other words, to bring you to the place where you realize, listen, the, the end of the law, Romans 3 is where the conclusion of this begins to grab hold of, because if you read Romans 1 and 2, you're going to be discouraged. But in Romans 3, he tells you the whole point of Romans 2, 1 and 2 is to conclude all under sin, that there's none righteous, not even one, nobody made it in by the works of the law. But nevertheless, he tells them in Romans 2, uh, uh, let's, it says in verse 4, or despises are the riches of his goodness and forbearance and long suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance. But after thy hardness and impenitent heart, you treasure up unto thyself wrath against the day of judgment, the day of wrath, and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to every man according to his deeds, who by patient continuance of well doing seek for glory, honor, and mortality, eternal life, which is the life of the coming age. Seek for the life of the coming age. 
But he goes on to say, But unto them that are contentious and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation and wrath, tribulation and anguish upon every soul of man that doeth evil to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. And he tells them, you know, if you sin with the law, you're judged by the law. If you sin without the law, you're judged without the law. But as he goes on down in this chapter, he tells them, not knowing that the goodness of God leads thee to repentance. I'm trying to find where this is at actually here. Not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to uh, repentance. Uh, verse number four says, Or despisest thou the riches of his goodness and bearest and long suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance. And a lot of people preach that. The goodness of God leads you to repentance. But see, they never read the next verse. But after thy hardness and impenitent or unrepenting heart, you're treasuring up for yourself wrath against the day of wrath and the revelation of the righteous judgment of God. Now, let me say to you, that the best way to respond to God in bringing these lifestyle changes that will produce the life of the coming age is to let the goodness of God lead you to repentance, to the change of mind or the change of lifestyle. Because God's goodness wants to produce for you the best life on the planet, which is the life of the coming age in the mind of this first century Jewish people. But if your heart is hardened and it's unrepentant, you're treasuring up for yourself wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. Now, if you remember what I read to you in the chapter prior to this, what the judgment was, was that God gave them over and gave them up. In other words, what happens is, is when you won't respond to the goodness of God, His wrath is revealed from heaven, not against just people, but the ungodliness. God is after the ungodliness that's in the life of, of people in these chapters. So what he's saying is that he just simply turns them over and lets them do those things which are not convenient, and they receive in themselves the they receive in themselves the recompense of their error, which is meat. In other words, they reap what they sowed. God gives them over to a reprobate mind. That's a mind that's unwilling to repent. It's reprobate. But what happens is, is that God gives people over to that. And see, what happens is everything you're doing will either lead you to life or it will lead you to death. He said, they which do such things are worthy of death. So what, what you're doing is either going to produce life or it's going to produce death. That's how we got to look at things. Is Does this produce life in me or is it producing death in me? And if it's producing death, maybe it's time to repent because what happens is, is you continue to go until you hit this place that I call chaos. The day of judgment is not necessarily like some future event, but it's when everything comes crushing in on you that is falling apart in your life. And sometimes we prolong the pain because we're unwilling to repent and change our minds. But that stuff is designed to bring you to the end of yourself where you realize, I need a Savior, and the chaos is the end of what's not working anymore. But if you come to chaos, it's because God is about to give you a new beginning and turn the chaos in your life into something that can says, listen, because see, there's people listening to me right now, you, you ain't going to listen. You're going to be hard-headed. My mom always said, if you can't listen, you got to feel. But what happens is, is, sooner or later, everything comes crushing down, whether it's bad thinking in finances, whether it's your addiction to drugs. Now, sometimes we prolong the pain by enabling people to stay in their pain longer. But the truth of it is, all of it is designed to bring you to God. So you can either respond to the goodness of God, it'll bring you to the life of the coming age, or you will respond to the judgment of your own sin 
that has reproved you. I am out of time, but I trust this blesses you. God wants to give you the best life on the planet. Stop fighting it. Yield to it. Hallelujah. Thank you for joining us. If you'd like to give a seed into the ministry, so into it. There's a number on the screen you can call. There's a website where you can go and give. Please do that today. It will help us to take the gospel around the world. And you can also send a check or money order to the address that will come up on the screen. It's your faithful partnership that helps us take the gospel of the kingdom around the world. And I want you to see the kingdom of God manifest in your life right now. God bless you. The word repentance means to change your mind. The message of John the Baptist and of Jesus was to repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is accessed by a change in our thinking. If you are in outer darkness, there is weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. That reality is not always out in the distant future. It is in people's lives right now. One simple mind shift can move you out of darkness and weeping and into light and rejoicing. God wants to wipe all tears from our eyes and replace our weeping with joy.